If uh, you are relatively new to Westtown, welcome. I think you're an excellent company because I'm relatively new too. Uh, my name is Dwight and I'm one of the pastors here on staff and uh, we're very glad that you could be here uh, with us this morning. Uh, my wife Connie and I, uh, we have four children. Our oldest son is an army chaplain and he is in a point in his career where he's uh, uh, transitioning to more um, officer-oriented kind of roles. And so he's, he and his family have just left Fort Hood. They're in um, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And our denomination publishes a, a prayer guide that you can pray for chaplains called The Guardian. And so as Seth was making his transition, um, I got the magazine and I'm, I'm looking through to see if he's on the prayer uh, page. And, and sure enough, he is. And so I'm reading the things that he's asking prayer for. Uh, Seth loves being with the enlisted men, uh, but he's in a point in his career he's going to be more uh, with officers. And so he asked for prayer. He said, I'm not very officer savvy, so please pray for me as I'm getting acclimated to, to these duties. Um, the military, you might know, allows you to pick three preferences of where your next assignment's going to be. And they picked all assignments on the East Coast because he wanted to be jumping out of airplanes with rangers and being attached to a ranger unit. And so right after this publication came out, um, he got his assignment. It's in Belgium. He's going to be the lowest ranking officer there, no enlisted men. And he is going to be doing something, he's going to be feeling completely out of water. So where he wanted to be, what he wanted to be doing, and who he wanted to be doing it with, none of it happened. But the mission never changes. Now, I'm not just talking about military mission. I'm talking about mission of Christians. And there may be times that you find yourself as a believer, you're not doing what you want to be doing, who you want to be doing it with, or in the area you want to be doing it with, but your mission is always the same. We've been in the little book of 1 Thessalonians the last few weeks, look, talking about what it means to be the church. And we've talked an awful lot about living on mission. And sometimes that I love that terminology because it focuses us on why we're here, it reminds us that we're to be active in our faith. But there's also a certain sense where it's not real clear as to what we're supposed to be doing. Very simply, we can summarize what it means to live on mission for Jesus, for what it means for the church to follow Jesus, and in one very short statement. And that is that we're here to love people the way Jesus loves people. And so I want to begin a little bit of... Um, over the next few weeks, looking in 1 Thessalonians at what it means to love, Je to love people the way Jesus loves people. So let's take a look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, where Paul is uh, writing to, to this church that he had started. He was not able to be there very long because there were uh, people that were um, trying to run him out of town, and they were very successful, and he uh, was concerned about how this young church was doing in, it, doing in their faith. So in chapter 3, we read, Therefore, when we, can bear it no, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these, by these afflictions, 
For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you were always that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God, before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face, and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Now, what I'm going to be talking about living on mission for Jesus and loving people the way Jesus loves people, uh, you might be tempted to think a couple of things. One is you might be tempted to think, I can't do that. Nope, I can't do that. And you might be thinking about, all kinds of of reasons why you can't. Or you might be thinking, you know, I've heard this all before. And whatever the temptation may be, the end result is the same, that you're going to be tempted to check out. And I want to encourage you, don't check out. Resist that temptation. Because I want to assure you that you definitely can do anything that God calls you to do. He will always supply what we need to follow him faithfully. And... If you're tempted in possibly checking out because you've heard this all before, well, chances are that may be true. But what we're looking at is to that Lord would make old truths fresh, uh, that we can love him and love others. So what does it mean then to love people the way in which Jesus loved people? Well, the first thing we see is that we love people as Jesus loved people by promoting their spiritual well-being. Now, it's interesting that there were times in Jesus' ministry where he asked his followers, called disciples, who do people say that I am? And people came up with all kinds of answers. Well, you're a good teacher, you're, you do good works, this, that, and the other thing. And if you're somewhat exploring and looking into the Christian faith, and you're wondering what this Christianity thing is all about, that's a good question to start asking. Who does Jesus say that he is? Now, Jesus indeed did do good works. He healed people that were sick. He delivered people from demons. He uh, helped the blind recover their sight. Jesus was very concerned about physical, people's physical well-being. Jesus indeed was a good teacher. Many people thought he was like the prophets of the Old Testament, but Jesus is far more than just a person who does good things. He is far more than just a good teacher. He is the Son of God who has come to rescue people from their sin and provide for them a relationship with his heavenly Father that he describes in his word now as full, abundant, joyful life that will last for all eternity. That's what Jesus is all about. And if you're exploring Christianity, I I hope you continue that exploration 
as to who Jesus is and his mission for you and loving you so that you might love the Father. And as a church, we hope to be the kind of place where people who are needy, like we mentioned with the, the, the deacon's offering, that they can have their physical needs met. Or if people are struggling uh, with how, how to live and they want some counseling, we, we have a counselor available for people that, that they can receive that instruction. But what we hope to be is a church where people, whether they be skeptics, whether they be doubters, whether they be the unchurched, the de-churched, or the ill-churched, can come and explore the claims of Christianity in an open and honest environment. But the most important thing that we feel as our mission as a church and as the Lord gives us is that we are concerned about people's spiritual well-being. This is evident in this passage in a number of ways because Paul is talking about his concern for the Thessalonians and why he sends Timothy to minister to them. And he mentions three things. He talks about wanting to learn about their faith. And so one of the ways that we express love to other people and their spiritual well-being is that we seek to learn about their faith. In verse 5, Paul says, When I could bear it no longer, being separated from the Thessalonians, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But it wasn't just merely learning about what that faith was. Paul wanted to be used and have Timothy used in order to strengthen and encourage other people's faith. In verses 2 through 4, he says, We sent our brother, Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. And he goes on to mention how they would not be moved by the various afflictions that they faced. Now, the word establish means to strengthen. It means to set up or fix or support a person in their faith. Connie and I have three grandchildren. We have one on the way. Uh, One of our grandchildren lives in Texas, and we don't get to see him very often. But he's at that age where he's going from crawling to trying to walk. And he's trying to stand, and he needs help standing. And sometimes his mom has to come alongside and help prop him up so that he can actually stand and use those legs for forward motion. That's kind of the idea of what's being described here in supporting or strengthening somebody's faith. We come alongside them. We support them. We help them to grow in their faith. And he uses the word, And here as well, to exhort you in your faith or to encourage you, to bring comfort, to bring cheer. Everybody needs some encouragement every once in a while to remain in the faith and to remain steadfast. But he goes on in verse 10 and he mentions how we, as we try to love people the way Jesus loved people and showing concern for their spiritual well-being, he mentions how He sent Timothy to complete what is lacking in their faith. He said, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. That idea of lacking represents a shortcoming, a defect, and which must be removed so that perfection can be obtained. And Paul couches all of these things within the context of affliction. 
where we might be tempted to say that we're exempted from continuing in the faith because things are getting hard. God will understand if we sort of check out for a little while. Paul says no. In verse uh, 3, he says, uh, he's talking about how no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. We especially need each other when we're going through hard times, affliction, and suffering. I have benefited so many instances in my life where a man or woman of faith have come alongside me through some hardships and they've brought me encouragement. It's one particular time that I think back of often. When Connie and I began our ministry in Philadelphia, um, things were happening. God was, was moving, things were changing. And there were some people that, honestly, they just didn't like us. And they were trying to push me out. And it got to the point where they were not only trying to push me out, they were trying to ruin me. It had gotten so ridiculous that people were going through our trash in order to try to find dirt on us to push us out. And fortunately, the leadership of the church was very supportive of me. And they said, no, this is the vision that we feel that God has for this church. We're going to follow this vision. And you know what I did in my naivete and my foolishness? I thought that was going to put an end to the problem. It didn't. The people that opposed us saw that they couldn't take me out directly, so they tried to take me out by pushing my family out of the church. And that's when things got real for me. Because I, and I'm not, a, I'm not proud to admit this, but I started thinking of ways that I could tell these people off. I would have these conversations in my mind where I was getting back at these people and I was exposing them for what they were and all these other things that you just should not let your mind go to at all. And it wasn't a very Christian response. And there was a man in the church. He was unable to come to church all that often anymore because of his advanced age, called me on the phone and he said, can you come on over? I said, sure. So I went over, we were chit-chatting a little bit, and he said, how's it going? You ready to throw in the towel yet? I hear it's getting pretty hard for you. I said, well, I'm not there yet, sir. And he put his hands on my shoulder and he said, I've been a member of this church from the first day it was founded. We are starting to experience things that I have been praying for for 50 years. He said to me, young man, you stay the course. And then he said something else. He said, don't you give the devil any opportunity to discredit your ministry. He was a wise man because I can shoot my mouth off and get myself in all kinds of trouble. But his encouragement for me to stay the course, for me to remain uh, of a man of integrity as I tried to stay that course was counsel that I have looked back on time and time again over the years when facing difficulties of a variety of kind, of the different kinds. So you see, you can be involved in helping to promote people's spiritual well-being with a word of encouragement, with some sound advice, by coming alongside of people to learn about their faith Encourage them and even complete what is lacking in your faith. 
But in addition to that, we also see that we love people the way that Jesus loved people by developing a mission mindset about life. Verses 2 and 5, Paul speaks how he sent Timothy to the Thessalonians on a mission. And that mission was for the good of their faith. And we read about Jesus in in John chapter 4. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And in chapter 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus and Paul who followed him knew that they had a purpose of being sent into the world. Now, there's, of course, a sense where Jesus being sent into the world had redemptive uh, accomplishments that we could never participate in. We, We can never atone for somebody else's sin. But Jesus calls us to share in that ministry of reconciliation and redemption in the world. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. When Jesus invited people to follow him, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. We have this mission entrusted to us by God where we are to be used as an instrument of his grace to help connect people to Jesus. Now, this is where you're tempted to check out. You say, oh no, I can't do that. And you might have all these ideas in your mind uh, of of what this entails, but Let me offer to you some suggestions about the way to orient your frame of thinking that will help you to see that where you are in your spiritual life, whatever your sense of maturity is, whatever your uh, um, gifts and abilities are, that you can develop a mission orientation to life. You see, Jesus, and these things I'm about to share with you aren't original with me. First got him with neighborhood prayer ministries, got him community houses of prayer, the Fellowship of Alba, Reform University Fellowship. It's sort of a mishmash of things that I've learned, but they've been very helpful to me, and I hope they are to you. When Jesus sends us out into the world, we need to view our lives like this uh, diagram on, on the slide here, where as opposed to the world being oriented to us, we see ourselves going out into the world. Now, it's interesting in Many church ministries, and there certainly is a place for this, we offer all kinds of programs and ministries in order to attract people to us. But if that is the only focus in a church, what ends up happening is we develop this mindset that the world is supposed to come to the church rather than sending the church out into the world, which should be our primary focus and means of ministry. And so as we begin to see ourselves, that God has sovereignly put us in this world, given us roles and relationships and people that we travel in so that we might be able to love them the way that Jesus loved them. So think of yourself as as the next graph mentions, all the different places that God takes you throughout your given week, that you regularly encounter people whether it's in your family or the workplace or your hobbies and recreation or places of commerce in which you engage or uh, maybe you're part of your neighborhood association or you're constantly going to different places because of your kids' activities. 
And all of these things, your orientation to life, it should be, it should be for all of us. God has sent me here to love people the way that Jesus loved people. It's no accident that you come in contact with the people in which you come into contact. God has sovereignly placed you there so that you might be a light and to love people the way he loved people. Now, you might be wondering, what's that look like? Well, the first thing, um, and it's actually the third thing, but the first thing in uh, this orientation of life is that we love people the way Jesus loved people by praying for them. In verse 10, Paul says how he prayed most earnestly night and day that they might see the Thessalonians face to face and supply what is lacking in their faith. It is good that we pray for each other's physical needs and challenges. That's very important for us. But in addition to that, we should be praying that all of us would be able to stand firm in the faith, that we would be able to grow in the faith, that the Lord would supply what is lacking in our faith, and that we would pray for each other on spiritual levels to grow more like Jesus. And Jesus prayed for people's faith as well. There's a startling passage in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus is describing to Peter, he's telling him that you're going to deny me. And Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired, uh, Satan has demanded you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might not fail. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer and the High Priestly Prayer, many other occasions in the New Testament, is praying for people's faith. So let's go back to that graph that we we saw just a moment ago that has you in the center of it, you going out into the world into various places that God takes you, list people that you know, that you come in regular contact in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and the places you go for recreation and hobbies. And out of all of those names, I encourage you, pick three. Pray for those people every day that God might use you to love them the way in which Jesus loves them. And you might say, I have no idea how to pray. Well, take one of Jesus' prayers. Take the Lord's Prayer, for instance, and use one of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer each day to pray for those people. For instance, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, pray for the people on your list that they might come to know the Father Uh, to come to know God as their heavenly father and be drawn to him in faith if they don't already know him. A little bit later in the prayer, Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Pray that God would supply the needs of the people that you're praying for and that they would come to recognize that they receive those provisions from a good and gracious God. Commit yourself to pray for people in the spheres where God has brought you so that you might love them the way Jesus loves them. And then finally, we love people as Jesus loved people by seeking to help people move towards Christ and his church. In John chapter 12, Jesus says in verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
Jesus in love gave himself upon the cross to reconcile us to the heavenly father for the purpose of drawing people to himself. The Bible talks about how we are engaged in two primary relationships in life. A relationship with God and with the church, not the building, the people of God. And so we should be asking the Lord to help use us to bring people towards Jesus and his church. Well, how can we do that? Well, very simple graphic here of two people talking together. Maybe they're just talking about the latest movie that they saw, or perhaps they're talking about what's going on at work, or whatever the case may be. But in the course of that conversation, the woman who is a believer in this instance, is talking to somebody. And as she's talking to that person, she's observing. She's listening. She's engaged. And she's asking herself three questions, and she's offering one prayer. And it looks like this. You see the cross in the question mark, the church in the question mark. She's wondering, is this man moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Is this man moving towards the church or away from the church? And that little thing there that looks like peaks and valleys, that's um, an electrical symbol for resistance, a resistor. That's the closest thing I could come up with. Sorry. How resistant is this person towards Jesus and the church? Are they minimally resistant? Are they maximally resistant? Because it's going to govern how we interact with them. And as you begin to speak with people and observe their lives, You offer a prayer to the Lord and you say, Lord, please use me to move this person closer to you and to your people. You see, you can do this. Each and every one of us can be concerned about other people's spiritual well-being. We can develop a missions mindset of God putting us in different spheres of life intentionally so that we might love people. We can begin to pray for people within our spheres of influence and ask God to use us to draw him, draw them closer to him and to his people. And as we do so, and we're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks and specific roles that Jesus fulfilled in loving people that we can model as well, whatever our spiritual maturity is, whatever our spiritual gifts are. God uses us in the lives of other people in order that we might strengthen and establish them in the truth. So I encourage you, as you pray for West Town in this upcoming week, that you would thank the Lord for loving us and ask Him to cause us to follow Him and loving people the way in which He loves people. Let's pray together.